Looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Welcome back to the Bold Base Performance Podcast. On the show today, I had the opportunity to interview a mentor of mine, somebody that I really look up to, Nick Valencia. Nick is one of the physical therapists for the Atlanta Braves and somebody that I've had the pleasure of knowing for about four years now. He was actually a clinical instructor of mine for my first ever clinical internship down in Gilbert, Arizona. At that time, I had the honor of being able to learn an incredible amount from him from a physical therapy standpoint. But honestly, what really stood out to me about Nick was his positive energy and just this aura that he had about him. He demonstrates incredible self-awareness, passion, hard work, and has a pay-it-forward mentality. He truly is wired differently, and he has a lot of empowering views on life in general. On the show today, we discuss his background both personally and professionally, and we dive into a lot of deep topics too regarding personal growth, mindfulness, psychology, the art of failure, goals, and legacy. Something that Nick mentions is wanting to leave a ripple, meaning impacting the most people positively within his lifetime. And I can honestly say that he has left a significant ripple in my life. And I assure you that after listening to this episode, he'll have left a ripple in your life as well. Before we get into the show, I do want to remind you about one of our partners, Vivo Barefoot. Tom and I love Vivo shoes because they have everything we look for in a shoe. Zero heel drop, minimal arch support, minimal cushion, a wide toe box, and maximal flexibility and function. In short, they allow your feet to appropriately articulate with the ground, letting them act like feet. If you want to optimize your shoe game, check out vivobarefoot.com. And if you see something you like, be sure to use our discount code BOLDBASEPERFORMANCE at checkout for 10% off. Again, that's BOLDBASEPERFORMANCE at checkout for 10% off. Now, on to the show with Nick Valencia. All right, everybody. So we're here with Nick Valencia. As you heard from the intro, um, how we got to know each other and everything like that. He is completely authentic, very self-aware, hardworking and passionate guy. And that's why I wanted to have him on the show today. And Nick, let's just get started with kind of your personal background or what got you to this point. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Honestly, at first, I want to say uh, thanks for having me on. And um, that intro is, uh, I appreciate the authentic part. Uh, that's something I've always tried to be as a person and to kind of hear that and kind of hear that uh, said back is uh, pretty meaningful. So I appreciate that. For sure, uh, yeah. So you're saying uh, background, like personal background? Yep. Okay. So I'm from El Paso, Texas, which is far West Texas, if you're familiar with the state at all. Uh, I always kind of like to give you a couple fun facts about the state. One of them being El Paso is so far West, it's in its own time zone and not like El Paso time zone, but mountain time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So are you guys with, is that with Arizona where you don't change based on like daylight savings no no arizona is doing its own thing uh arizona likes What's to live in kind of i don't know dude it's actually kind of nice when you live in the state if you don't have to worry about everybody else outside the state you know because when right. my family lived in el paso in their mountain time and then like we're falling back or well, they're falling back we're like on the same hour but if they spring forward then they're like an hour ahead so yeah, i don't know silly. i have no idea <laughs> When I was down in Arizona for a period of time and it crossed over one of the daylight savings times, it was super confusing for like, you know, my family back in Minnesota and everything too. just understanding like, okay, well, what time is it there? And should I call or is it too late or whatever? 
for sure. It's a whole different level of uh, mindfulness that you have to consider when you're thinking about people outside of Arizona. But no, El Paso is a mountain time. They do fall back and spring forward. And uh, another crazy thing about the state is so when you enter, when you're driving, say, from Arizona through New Mexico into El Paso, you know, you always have the distance for the next city. Well, they also put the distance for like the furthest city east, which is a border on the east side of Texas between Texas and Louisiana. And that's 862 miles away. Wow. Yeah. That state is a, is a pretty long state, but I don't know, just, Texas, just a fun Texas, Texas fact small. for you. <laughs> What's Texas that? Not small. No, 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 no. By any means. But yeah, I'm from El Paso, Texas. It's a border town. I'm second generation uh, American citizen. I like to say that just because uh, I'm fortunate enough to be bilingual, but it was through no means of my own. It was just having grandparents who spoke English a little bit, but spoke more Spanish. And my grandma just, you know, just in her own right, just had the foresight to say, like, I'm never going to speak English to my grandchildren, whether I kind of know it or not. And I'm going to force them to speak Spanish to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she always, in my very poor uh, impression of her, but she'd always be like, no, 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 no. Like, hablo en inglés. En español. Hablo en español. Yo no entiendo inglés. Meaning, like, don't talk to me in English. Like, you got to talk to me in Spanish. Yeah. And uh, kind of looking back on that, I just realized uh, that, you know, it's part of failing is part of learning. And uh, so I'd kind of forced myself to speak to her in Spanish, but still it's been an interesting transition being from a border town and working my way through uh, professional sports. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I always love being back home, but I also, I mean, the world's such a big place. It's always kind of nice to kind of see what else is out there as well. And that's where, being a PT and now working in baseball has taken me to so many different places. I never would have thought I'd live or visit. So with you, so in like your upbringing, what, at what point did you decide that like physical therapy was a route you wanted to go or like what sparked your passion for that? And how young were you at the time? You know, it's, it's interesting because I feel very fortunate in that I knew I wanted to do medicine from like seventh or eighth grade. Wow. And um, I was actually talking to my mom about this earlier. So I'm taking an EMT course in January. Um, we can kind of come back around and talk about that some. But yeah. when I was telling her that and I needed some paperwork, my shot records and all, uh, she was saying, you know what? It's kind of funny when you're in fifth grade, you did a mock. Uh, it was someone like a mock terrorist kind of thing. And as the, the class got selected and we, you know, they mocked us up. They kind of they put makeup on us and they kind of gave us injuries and the medical staff had to come. I think it was from one of the military hospitals from Beaumont. And when I came back from that, I told her, I want to, I want to work in an ambulance. Like that's what I want to do one day. She's like, it's kind of cool to hear that you're going to go take a the EMT course to take the certification. Even if not, that's not fully what you're doing. Like it's kind of crazy to see the world kind of come back full circle. Yeah. So it's been a while. I think I've just always cared about people. That's another thing I got from my, my grandmother. She's just very genuinely interested in people. Every time we brought people over, she was so interested to know who they were, where they're from, and just, so I, I kind of adopted that. Some of my parents just have big hearts, and um, I just found that medicine was just a natural pathway for me. So I, in high school, went to a school that had a healthcare program, and oh, you wow. had to apply to the program, uh -huh, and it was a magnet program. So by junior year, we were doing rotations in the hospital. And every three weeks, we would change uh, departments. And I happened to take physical rehab as a department. And I made good friends with some of the PTs there and just realized it's something I wanted to do. 
So I just kind of started setting my sights on that. That's incredible. That's like so young to have that insight of where you want to be. Yeah, I again, I feel super fortunate because and there weren't it's not to say like it's that simple, right? Like that's what I wanted and I became it. Like there's so many times, especially through undergrad, where I thought I was gonna do so many different things. Like my cousin and I were kind of close to like quitting, dropping out of school. He was uh, in culinary school. I was in undergrad uh, for psychology. And we were going to move to California and start a t-shirt company. Like we just wanted to be creative people. There you go. And it's, it's interesting to think that everyone kind of has their own like view on how the world works. And I have the good fortune of having a lot of mentors in my life. And I've always kind of uh, soundboarded with some of them just to kind of get some ideas going. So before I dropped out of school, because I know that'd be a big deal, talked to one of my old high school teachers and I told him what I was thinking of doing. He's like, well, he's like, why don't you think about it this way? Like, what if you guys started the t-shirt business before dropping out? And if it takes off, well, then you can move all your attention into that. But why not stay committed to what you're doing, kind of see it through? So it's it worked out to the point to where we know even started the business and you know a long set of things that I've attempted to do that I never really executed on and it can be seen both like positive light negative light so where where was it that you went to undergrad so I went to school in Austin at the University of Texas uh at Austin the Longhorns uh good school but it's easy to get lost honestly it's such a big school I think there's about 50,000 when I was going to school students and it's like 70,000 people total, which is just mind boggling. Yeah. And there's just so many people. Uh, but then you kind of start to get to the harsh reality, like going through under or through high school, like people know you and they care enough to kind of chirp at you when you're not falling in line, you know? So if you start deviating from the norm, you're just like, hey, hey, like get back, like do your work, like focus. You have so many adults kind of supervising you that you, whether you are going to like, find your boundaries or not like somebody's gonna reel you in yeah and when you leave to a big city like that with a big school like that like that doesn't exist anymore the bumpers are gone yeah and one of the things I realized being at that school is like there it can either be a really good thing or a really bad thing like I've seen people who were rejected to a four-year university started at a two-year junior college uh, went to UT Austin, were physics majors, and then had just been accepted for their PhD in physics. Like, just mind-blowing stuff. Super cool. I'd also met uh, salutatorians who dropped out of school and just were kind of just working odd jobs or just kind of finding a side job or restaurant business or bar business uh, because they just, they did if either feel school was for them or they just got way too attached to all the fun aspects of college, you know? And I'm sure... Yeah. It's probably something you've experienced yourself. Like you walk into a room and at that point I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist and you meet 20 other people in, in this, you know, 100, 200 person class. And they're like, I want to be a physical therapist too. It just dawns and you're like, wait, we can't all be physical therapists. Right. And am I going to be the one that makes it or am I going to be the one that doesn't make it? And you just start to realize like people kind of start dropping by the wayside and probably one of the biggest learning moments for, my, for me was, again, nobody cares. Nobody cares in, in, a, in a healthy way, but also a very humbling way. Like you have to care about yourself and you have to make sure that you're on top of what it is you want, because otherwise it, it doesn't matter. Like your family's going to love you no matter what. And you, you're going to be okay. But if you want to achieve what it is you want, like you have to put the pressure on yourself. 
And yeah, that, those that, first two that years, accountability is just oh my so, god, like it's amazing. Like you need to, and that's why I stress so much too. You need to have goals for you, and even like they don't have to be anyone else's goals. You know, like you wanted to be a physical therapist, but what if your ultimate goal was to start that t-shirt business? You know, like what if that was what you wanted to strive for? And then for eight years, all you sold was like three t-shirts. But like, if that, if you knew, like if you were locked in and you knew that was your goal, you'd keep going after it. Cause you'd have that hunger. And that's, that's where it comes in where you got to be accountable for like knowing who you are, knowing what you really want. And like, then just go after it. A thousand percent. I totally agree with that. It's like, I ultimately, I think it's like a war or mentality of attrition. Like you just have to want it the longest. If you're sharp enough, like you'll keep that long-term goal going, but you're going to slowly adjust as you go to be able to get to what it is you want. So a a thousand percent. And I think that's where I realized like, I really want this. And my grades, like I was not a straight A student. I was kind of a middle of pack student. I was like the maybe second or third to last, the top 10% in high school. In college, I was uh, early on was like a anywhere from like an A to an F student. I got an F my first class, my first calculus class. And that's the story in itself. My first semester, I went in with so much confidence, so much confidence. And I got one A, two C's and an F. And I was just lucky enough to have clept out of some Spanish courses. So that helped my GPA. But by like the second year, I want to say sophomore year, I'm like, man, I'm like I either get it together or I don't like it's, it's on me. Yep. So absolutely. And that's where I had, I had to change myself. Like nothing was going to change. Like the professor wasn't going to be, it wasn't a communication issue with the professor. It was in a location where I was studying. You, you could blame so many things. There's a really good poem. I got to find and send to you, but essentially the gist of the poem is like you, you can be in a burning building or like you can be, you can have all these obstacles, but if mentally you're not there to be able to make it happen, it's just not like you, you can rationalize anything out of existence is I guess the bottom line. And it's ultimately up to you whether you succeed or whether you fail. Like it's nobody else's fault that you got bad grades. It's nobody else's fault. Like it's not anything situational. It's just like you just need to either do it or not at the end of the day. And absolutely. It's, and it's cool that you said that. Cause that's kind of the same, like my first year, um, freshman year of college, it was kind of the same way where like in high school, things went pretty well for me. Like I didn't have to try that hard. I didn't really have to apply myself that hard. Obviously you have your parents like supporting you and making the food and doing that stuff like you mentioned before. Um, and then I got to college and moved away and at that time I was kind of thinking physical therapy, like along those same lines. And I failed chemistry class. And I was like, Whoa, like I need to take another chemistry and bios and physics to even get accepted into this program. Like maybe I'm not cut out for it, but then you reflect and then it's like, well, I failed cause I didn't do shit. Like, yeah, right. I, just I just didn't work hard enough. I didn't apply myself, you know, right. like if you take away like the, it being personal and you being very objective and that's, I think an overall theme to the way I look at life is like, you have to take things off the pedestal. You have to take things from where, how they're ever they're given to you. And you have to remove the emotion out of it to get a, like a, a true, true, true uh, reflection or like synthesized solution to like, where are you really? Like you can feel you're in a certain place, but if you would look at the objectives, you know, the things that are giving you response, whether it's grades or like the outcome of what it is you're trying to achieve. Like if you don't really pay attention to them, uh, you're, you're gonna fool yourself. Like we're, we're so good, our brains are so good 
and for its own right, like we're trying to process so much information, but our brains are so good at leading us in certain directions. Like that's why we have biases and that's why we'll overgeneralize. Like I think it's how we evolve to this point, mm-hmm. but it can also get the best of you. And you yes. have to allow yourself to be removed from that to really progress and grow. And your brain just loves making excuses for you too. Yeah. Like if things are hard or if things don't go your way or if you fail at something, it's, it's so easy to just, um, and, and I don't know why that is necessarily, if it's just like emotionally not as taxing or whatever it is on yourself to just be like, oh, well, X, Y, Z circumstance. So that's kind of why it didn't work out for me or my situation is different or whatever it is, you know? So my working theory is just goes back to like biology, biology, biological like processes and like physiology in the sense that your brain wants to work as little as possible. It works on glucose mm-hmm. and it want, it needs energy, but your body is the extreme efficiency. Like it's the minimalist of all minimalists. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to grow more muscle if it doesn't need to. It's not going to be more like cardiovascularly fit if it doesn't need to. Like your brain's not going to get more blood flow if it doesn't need to. Like it just wants to survive yep. and it's happy being comfortable. And now we're in this point of society where we can force ourselves or we can dream bigger things. And that's not physiologically at a primal level what we're meant to do. Like we're meant to like get food and survive and continue to like create uh, human beings. You know, that, that's what we're meant to do. So we are definitely taking our brain into a new location that's past like that rep- reptilian brain when you, when you have to force yourself. So I think it's, it's very normal for us to rationalize. But I think with everything else, like the more mindful you are of that, the easier it is to say like, okay, that's my brain giving me this response which is okay, but I can continue forward. Like it's just knowing the temperature outside or knowing uh, whether you need gas or not. Like it's just a gauge to give you feedback, but does it mean you have to panic or solely rely yourself on that one gauge? And I I think mindfulness stuff kind of going down that path is just so important because it's crazy to think and it's kind of deep, but like your brain creates your reality that you live in that your brain then interprets. Yeah. So it's just like this big feedback loop where you are creating it yourself and like your brain's always going to like put things out there for you to interpret. And unless you have that control to either like um, cross out one thing that your brain says or like highlight another thing or whatever, it gets really, I don't know, really confusing really quick. Yeah. And so I, when I have conversations, especially like this, you know, when we, when we were sitting having coffee, what was it? A couple months back. Um, I just like to spout books off. Like it's just something I really enjoy. And I think that as much as I can try to express something to you, like unless you see it for yourself and get to like chew on it and like digest it, then it really is, we'll kind of be on the same wavelength in a way. And I think one of the books that's most meaningful for me in this conversation is Buddha's brain by Rick Hansen. Okay. And, um, what they do like an amazing job of doing is taking the physiology. I believe it's a psychologist and a neuro, some type of like neuro professor. And they take like all the aspects of how your brain works and the different areas of your brain, like the cingulate gyrus and the amygdala and like, what is a fear response and how these different parts of your brain, like the, uh, the forefront of your brain and how do they function and what does that mean? And how, when you get into certain lines of thought, like what is your brain physically doing and causing yourself to respond in a certain way? So you can get into these like loops, right? Whether it's a good loop or a negative loop where you're either really hard on yourself, or you start catastrophizing, like 
there are parts of your brain that are, are firing in sync to kind of cause these issues. And this, this book does an amazing job of breaking that down, kind of explaining it. So you, to me, knowledge is mindfulness. The more you know, the easier it is to be mindful. And I think this book does a good job of with that. 100%. Let's, we'll, we'll kind of circle back to, um, you know, what, what got you to this point. But since we're on this topic, I'm just kind of curious, um, talking about another topic that you've brought up, which is that like conscientiousness um, and kind of that, that graphic where it shows, you know, looking at things positively versus negatively and adaptableness and um, conscientiousness and kind of going back and forth on that spectrum. Yeah. Um, and I think that that would be really interesting for the listeners too to just kind of touch on that. Yeah, definitely. So what I'll do is kind of describe that graph and then we can kind of bounce off of that. But it's essentially an X and a Y axis. If you're looking at the most we use anatomical superior, but north of the x-axis is looking at things positively. And if you're going south or the most uh, inferior, it's going to be looking at things negatively. So you go to the left, it's about adaptableness. If you go to the right, it's about conscientiousness. So if you're anywhere above the x-axis, it's, it's a positive thing. You're going to either be flexible, versatile, relaxed, and easygoing if you're being positive and adaptable. If you're being extremely conscientious, and looking at things positive, you're going to be organized, disciplined, diligent, and principled. And if you go to the negative aspect of looking at something and you're extremely adaptable, but not in a good way, it's going to be careless, disorganized, impulsive, undependable. And then if you're completely conscientious and you're looking at things negatively, you're going to be obsessed, strict, fussy, and inflexible. And I think what's important to know is it is so context driven. It's about where, what are you dealing with? Are you dealing with your family? You're dealing with yourself? Are you dealing with a new skill? Are you dealing with a skill that you have practiced over and over again? Are you in an environment that you thrive in? Whether, you know, if you're an introverted person, you're just at home reading a book, or if you're like have extroverted tendencies or an extrovert, you're in public or you're being in a, in a social setting. Um, I think each context can kind of have a different play on whether you're being adaptable or conscientious. At the end of the, at the end of the day, though, you have like this underlying overall like running theme. So for me, if I were to explain myself in this, in this chart, I can be on a positive aspect, very flexible, very versatile. I'm super relaxed, easygoing. But if I can get out of my element or if I'm out of my element or in reality, if I'm over my head, I can, I can be careless and disorganized and I can also be impulsive. So something that I struggle with personally is attention to detail. And uh, I was just recently meeting with our other PT and we did a, like a SWOT analysis, the strength, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And one of the things I realized was one of my weaknesses through this year has been attention to detail. Now, it doesn't mean that's who I am. It's just more so in my sense, personally, I think that it means it's something I just need to be better at. Meaning I don't always have to be careless with detail, but now that I'm mindful of it, I can give extra attention to that. I know that being flexible is going to be way more natural for me. Mm -hmm. uh, now being organized is something that I need to work on, but I can again, look at it in that positive light. I, I know that it takes work for me to be organized and disciplined. Um, but I, it's very rare I'll ever be obsessed or strict with something. So that's, that's kind of a gist of the chart. I don't know if you have a, like a specific thought when it comes to that. Yeah. It's more so just, I mean, like how you look at it. And I think what you said is crucial in that context is key where, 
it's it's moment to moment it's day to day it's like what your mood is and that that is kind of like overarching you see that a lot where um like if i wake up on the wrong side of the bed say right like had a bad night's sleep or just not excited about what i'm doing that day or had a couple of tough clients or something like that where you just fall more a little bit more negatively like a little bit more in the red and you can kind of start like picking those things out in yourself and then if you have that awareness, you can look at it and be like, okay, why am I responding in this way? Why am I having this, um, this response to this event that isn't even that big and um, it's so negative? And that's kind of where you said too, where I'm the same way where I'll get kind of disorganized or like forget about things and then be like, oh shoot, or, or my wife will have to remind me and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that totally slipped my mind because of just where you fall within that given day. And I think that that's just, even outside of the context of this graphic too, I mean, just looking at things in your life, positively versus negatively, is something that you have to do actively and like take a very active approach to it where every morning you almost have to wake up and be like, okay, like there's always gonna be variability in the day. Like things are gonna happen today that I'm not happy with because that's just how life works no matter what the situation is. And the more that you can just look at those things positively and realize that, you are able to adapt. You are able to be resilient in that way. Um, I don't know. I think it's very powerful. Absolutely. I think the big part of it is, is it can change. And I also, I like to make points of thought in that this is not how I've always thought. It's been a change. It's, I think fortunate for us, we mature, right? So mm-hmm. we, yet we become less impulsive naturally and we become a little more, um, analytical we kind of think things through a little more which can be good and bad sometimes we may overthink things but i have not always thought of thought of the world this way uh i was i was very i would rationalize a lot of things out and i would put a lot of projection so i project a lot of the issues that i had whether it was not succeeding at something or not accomplishing something on other aspects so one of it was being a natural. I thought if you needed to be good at something, you're supposed to be a natural at it. So when I was younger, I tried to draw. And because my drawing, I couldn't draw to my mind's eye. I had to reference a piece of paper or the other picture. And I, I just couldn't do it without looking at something. I thought, I'm a terrible drawer. Like, I shouldn't be drawing. You have to be a natural at it. Uh, and that's, that's something that, again, I think I just reading and reading and reading and, and being so curious about how we function and what makes us tick kind of led me down the road of, of being more understanding and, and not so hard on myself. You know, innately, I can be lazy. Innately, I can, I can be emotional. Um, I can kind of ride that roller coaster. I can be impulsive. But when I'm mindful and using like the frontal lobe of my brain, then I can be a little more planned and I can be a little more uh, discipline with what it is I want. So again, I think it's being able to take pieces of aspects that maybe you're not innately good at, but being able to implement them and kind of mesh them in to help guide a process for you. Because we we all have these aspirations and whether they manifest or not, we'll get ideas of where we see ourselves, you know, a year from now or what else we could be doing. And I think the things that you take serious, you should be able to objectively construct like a list of goals that's going to get you there. And I think you can look at it two different ways. Like you can either feel like I'm a, I'm a have not or I cannot in a certain situation. Or I think taking the underdog mentality uh, early on is like, it's fine. I don't have to be 
believed. I don't have to, I don't have to have the crowd in my favor. That's fine. Uh, I just have to continue to want to be able to prove that I can and kind of taking those next steps and being, being objective again, taking your, your emotional response out of the situation, I think is, is key. Yeah. And I think what you brought up about, like you didn't used to think this way, your mindset didn't used to be the way that it is now. And that's a, that's a positive thing. And it, five years from now, if we do the same podcast, hopefully your mind is at a different state than it's at now. Cause that just demonstrates growth. And that demonstrates that you are continuing to learn and take things in. And um, I, I think that's a very positive way to look at it. Like when we were both in high school, we went beyond this podcast because we probably didn't care about these topics, you know? Absolutely. And I think to give some type of, like, you know, we were talking a lot of abstract concepts, but to be able to give some physical, uh, like a storyline behind this, I think something that I can compare this to is rock climbing. And in rock climbing in itself, you know, I, I realize I've been doing this 13 years on and off very loosely. I've kind of let my professional life be the priority over rock climbing. And, um, but this is the longest thing I've ever stuck with. And I've, I've learned so many lessons. And in the idea that no one cares, it's the same thing when you go out and you climb, you go out to this, this rock, this face, it's probably been around thousands or hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years. And it has no emotion. It doesn't care, care whether you succeed or not. You know, somebody, a human came and made a route and said, hey, this is a certain grade. And you then go onto the wall and you start to climb and in climbing they have like a a graded system so it starts with a five five point five point six five point seven is almost like climbing a ladder but on rock so if you're mentally comfortable and you have a good support system with a rope and you have a good belayer the person that's kind of holding the rope for you on the bottom you and if you're in the right mindset you can make it happen like any mm -hmm. physical capable human can climb a five six five seven okay they're getting into the space of five nines five tens quick history lesson uh 510 used to be like the max in climbing i think in the 80s or 90s like there were nothing there was no grade above a 510 wow. so you you just that's that's the most difficult climb that any human now we're it's crazy people we're just continuing to evolve mentally we're like at 516 now and these these kids who are like 18 19 20 years old are just doing things that we never even would have thought of uh, but getting back to the point of so when you get to this climb and say, okay, it's rated a 5.10, 5.11, and you start to climb it, you can have so many excuses as to why you can't do it. Well, I'm tired today. I didn't eat well. I didn't train correctly. Uh, but at the end of the day, the rock doesn't care. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, all, it's all these things that we've set, we've imposed onto this thing that just has no emotion. And then now, now we're trying to find meaning and value in ourselves based on, on the system and whether we can achieve our goal or not. Right. And I think, again, you can look at that and, and walk away. You can just never go back to it. You can think, well, that's not meant for me. That's not my style. Or you can adapt yourself. And um, kind of a, a mentality that I have, it's easier to move a man than it is to move a mountain. And what that means to me is if there's this, imp this massive obstacle that's in your way, and what the skill set that you currently have and the, the training or the mentality that you have, and it's just not getting you the result you want, we'll change it. You know, it's, it's completely up to us whether we want to change that or not. And that goes back to that chart that we're looking at. Like you can be adaptable and conscientious, but also looking at it positively. So whatever it is that you're facing, um, whether it's a personal life or professionally or, you know, an aspiration that you want to achieve, 
be comfortable knowing that the odds are not in your favor and be comfortable being willing to look, take a good look at yourself and know what are the things that I need to change and or improve to be able to get this thing that I want. Um, that's, I think that's really the best way to kind of look at this chart and kind of give it some kind of physical meaning. Yeah, that's, that's such a cool um, like motto for life in that like the obstacles are always gonna be there and the obstacle is not gonna move. So you have to change you so that you can move around it or go over it or under it or whatever it is. And yeah, that, that just goes back to that growth. Have you heard of uh, train ugly? Before? No, no. What is that? Um, so it's, it's this concept of like jungle tiger versus zoo tiger. Mm -hmm. And it's all about adaptability and like the zoo tiger being comfortable and in this closed environment and not having to adapt and everything's given to them. And they live an okay life, but they don't have to grow and learn. And then the jungle tiger is like looking at things as you can learn, you are adaptable, you basically like you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And like the jungle tiger and the zoo tiger 10 years from now, they're just wired differently because of how they approach life and the environment that they put themselves in. So what I'm saying, relating it to your story is that you could have looked at that either way. Like you could have looked at that as a zoo tiger, you could have you could have looked at that situation and been like, you know what, he's right, I'm not cut out for this. But instead, I'm assuming, like not to speak for you, but it lit a fire under your ass where you're like, you know what, I'm gonna prove this guy wrong and I'm gonna prove myself right and get to the level that I wanna get to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think it goes back to the skill sets are gonna vary. And even when you feel like you don't have a skill set, like you do, and you just have to be able to Go, mindful of what is it what is it what are my strengths what are things that people think I'm natural at because those are things I've actually found to be to be things that I, I naturally gravitate towards so I'm just spending more time practicing them and what are the things that you know in that in that sense in that story what is it that about my situation that made me a non-competitive candidate and that's my grades so mm -hmm. when I finished PT school I'm sorry when I finished undergrad, I actually applied to PT school just partially out of curiosity and partially, you know, hoping I'd get in. But at the end of the day, my grades just weren't where they needed to be. And it was not the second part of, of undergrad, my last two years of undergrad. It was more so those first two years were coming back and biting me. And it just goes, you know, you can take that into training or other aspects. If you're not committed from the beginning, it, it, it can affect you. So mm -hmm. But the beauty of life is you can go back and clean that up. So I went and uh, actually went to community college and retook my biologies and my chemistries to be able to, to show, okay, well, the feedback that I got was I didn't have the skill set. So how am I going to change that in regards to the, the, the standard that they were, which they were grading me on, which is actual GPA. And during the interview for the second time around for PT school, uh, one of the professors asked, well, you know, we, we noticed you retook some classes. Do you feel like there's a, a, a difference in taking the class at a community college and a university level? And, you know, you retook some of these classes. Like, how do you feel that impacts you? And I told her, well, you know what? Ultimately, I think it comes down to the standard that you're willing to hold yourself to. Because when I retook these classes, I knew that I had to be able to show you all and myself that I was capable of learning the content and it was more of a maturity issue than it was a actual capability. And I, I just would try and crush all these exams. I would try and get hundreds and I would try and get the extra credit. So on the biologies I took, I got nothing less than like a hundred. Mm 
And that has nothing more to say than it comes down to the amount of effort. I was more, I was locked in. It's the intensity that I was giving. And that's how I was able to adapt to, to that. So I think I, I like the jungle tiger and the zoo tiger. And I, I think, again, the overarching theme of this, this conversation, I think is ultimately like, you can pick which one you want to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And not choosing is also choosing. Like if you choose not to grow, like you're going to become a skilled in other things, whether that's social, what, you know, whether knowing the entire catalog of Netflix or, right. you know, being able to recite every word of like the new uh, T Swift album, yep. uh, you know, low key coming a fan, haven't heard the new album yet, but you know, so she's got good. She's got good stuff. She she's got, got good stuff. Uh, whatever it is, like you're you're constantly learning. You're constantly yeah. learning. Your brain's constantly consuming. We're sponges. So even if we're not actively engaged, it, things are happening. Well, and, and I think I think your story for just to rewind a little bit, um, the story of you, you know, getting into PT school and having it not be easy and not having that skill set, I think is so powerful for anyone who's listening who might be like a PT student right now or a PT who's working in a setting where they're not where they want to be or someone who wants to work at the professional sports level like you are. I think it's so cool to have that perspective of like, it didn't come easy. Like you didn't just like walk into this position to work for professional organization. Like there was bumps in the road. There was obstacles in the road going back to the rock climbing example where you had to change who you were or how you approach the situation in order to get where you want to get. And I think that's how it goes for most people where like you always are going to see the end result and be like, ah, Nick, he's just lucky, man. Like he just, he just is more lucky than me. He got it. It's like, no, like you're humble, but I'll speak for you. Like you are one of the most like driven, passionate people who's just like, like I always tell you when we talk, you're just wired differently. You know what I mean? Like you are going to find a solution to a problem and that's why you are where you are right now. And I think that that's just incredibly powerful for people to understand that like, if you work hard enough, you can get it. That thanks. I, I honestly, I, again, I appreciate that because that's it's something that uh, I really, really work hard to do. Is one be humble, right? I mean, always appreciate where you come from and pay it forward. But I think you know, looking back, there is a moment where I stopped feeling sorry for myself based on being really hard on myself and thinking I wasn't a natural any, at anything, and started being really thankful for the fact that I almost felt like a blank slate. I wasn't innately programmed to have any natural talent, but my natural talent was being able to be adaptable and kind of taking that slate and drawing and or figuring out what it is I wanted. Yep. And that's, again, taking that, that negative perspective, kind of turning into a positive one is, and that's all it is. It's how do you view this thing? And ultimately this, I'm a blank slate. I can do whatever it is I want. I have the power to be able to do any anything I want and take my life in any direction I want and um, that that was very powerful that that was a moment where I kind of understood like this is my given superpower quote unquote so how do I utilize it to get to where it is I want to be I've always felt like the underdog Uh, just physically I'm a a smaller guy and five seven I'm world average I'm on average but uh, you know it's just you always I think we grew up being told that we're going to be whatever it is we want and you, you know, you're the best and so on and so forth. But ultimately 
when you start to realize like you're average and there's just as many people who want what you want, it's, it's okay. Like it, it doesn't have to be this dawning thing where you don't no longer can achieve what it is you want. Again, it just becomes this war of attrition. Like it's fine. It's fine that you're, you're not in favor and you're the underdog and however I want to view the world. Right. But ultimately what am I going to do with that? Am I going to dwell and feel sorry for myself or if I'm just going to try and be the most impactful person uh, that I can and take the gifts that I was given, you know, the gift of just being able to problem solve or just, just having a lot of good mentors in my life. Like, what am I going to do with that? How do I, how do I take that and just be better, be better than where I was. And, um, that kind of takes me to this moment with my, my dad. And when, you know, you're young, you're kind of trying to feel what your parents, what it is your parents want you to be, you know, some, people have parents who say you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor. Some people have parents who say, uh, yeah, you know, maybe don't really even say like get a job, help us make some money. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving down the, the highway one time with my dad, I, I, maybe I was 10 or 12 years old. And he, he's like, you know, he's like your grandfather, he came from Mexico to the United States to, to be a roofer. He, he built roofs. He built, you know, he had, he had burns on his hands from tar and, he, he, he came over here to give us a better life. And, and, you know, I think he's like, I myself tried to, to do that for you. I put food on the table and he's like, I didn't necessarily go to school and it's not necessarily one of my strengths, but ultimately, you know, I tried to be better. And he's like, I think what's important in life is not so much what you are. He's like, be a plumber, you know, be, be a teacher, be, be a doctor, be whatever it is you want to be, but be the best, be the best. Mm-hmm. And I just, that, that just, has been something that I took and ran with it. Like, okay, if I'm going to be the best, I need to be the best on so many levels. And again, that that can be frustrating moments because you're like, oh, I want to be the best, but you're not the best. And sometimes it can be disheartening. But again, when you kind of take that that battle ready mentality, it's like, okay, well, how do I get there? Uh, How do I become the best? And it used to feel like this, this moment, you're going to reach this moment where the, the clouds, you know, the, the heavens are going to part, you're going to have this light dropping on you. And it's gonna be like, congratulations, you're now the best. Like, you know, you oh. just reach this state of nirvana. And the truth is, it's, it's, it's an ever achieving thing. You, you continue to want to push yourself forward to, to reach that moment. But it, it's fluid. It's a very fluid thing. And it's about continuing to, to move forward with wanting to be the best, but it's an everyday thing. It's, it's not something you achieve and then it, it's there forever. And the cool thing of it is you're the judge. Like you decide if you feel like you did everything you could to where you are the best at XYZ topic, right? Like it's, that's just so amazing to say that. And that's the first time I've ever heard that. And it's so true. It's to whose regard, right? Mm-hmm. So is it to my own personal regard? Because you can, the cool thing about trying to, better yourself is there are so many paths and I always look at it as like blaze your own trail and again being strong-minded in that sense at the same time you're not the first one to go through the struggle so you you just have to continue to to want to move forward on your own regard it's it's what do you how are you comparing yourself you know you hear business people that say well I started failing at this one thing and I I stuck with it and now I'm you know, millionaire in whatever it is they do, or you hear other people say, you know what, I didn't love what I was doing. So I turned to what I loved. And then I just, I just blossomed. Yeah. And what I hear in those two storylines is just, just, it's, 
either one is ultimately based on yourself. How are you evaluating yourself? And what are you, what are you going to do based on that evaluation of yourself? Right. And what, what do you want? What are your goals? You know, like it, it all depends. I mean, what drives you? Like what, what is it that actually drives you? What drives me is just being a good human being. Uh, ultimately, like my why is to, to make things better than where, how I found them and to take what I was given and open as many doors as possible for as many people as possible. That's, that's what drives me. That's my why. Whether that's working at a volunteer clinic, clinic in Phoenix and working with a gentleman who cuts yards all day and doesn't necessarily have the means to have um, insurance or public access to medicine and being able to get him to do his job better, or whether that means taking a very, very talented baseball player and getting them to be able to express themselves in the best way possible. But either way, I, I just want to be able to help as many people as possible. At, at the end of the day, make the biggest ripple is my goal. What, what do you feel like, I mean, with your background in psychology and undergrad, and how do you feel like you use that both in personal life, in relationships, in your professional life? Like, do you see that manifesting itself day to day? All the time, all the time. And I think it's because of how fascinated slash uh, obsessed I am with understanding human psyche and myself and other people and groups of people. And absolutely, you, you see it in motivation. So we jump into how do you get somebody to achieve what it is they want? It depends how they come at you in the first place. So one of the charts I had sent you was the uh, integrated response to sports injury and rehab process. And this comes from an article where they were trying to decide how do you take an athlete or a person and take them to what it is that you want them to achieve. So they come in to you with a torn ACL, they've been reconstructed. How do you rehab that process? And we've always, I want to say, from the way I understand it, physical therapy has been very protocol driven. So you're given a protocol and this is what you do. And we've also been very patho-anatomical. The problem lies in the person's issue. But we haven't been so holistic to say, well, that shoulder, that knee belongs to somebody. What are the motivating factors? Like, what are the resources that are coming from them? Like, what have they experienced in the past? What, ha what is their personality like? And now you have this injury and the stress response. Like, what are the personal factors that are going to be affecting this? What are the situational factors? Like, what is their home environment like? And you can almost take a step back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we're talking about a knee here. It's like, are we like, are we talking about a knee that's been reconstructed or a shoulder or an elbow? Or are we talking about a piece to a bigger puzzle? Mm -hmm. And that's part of the process that I've enjoyed and um, kind of coming from a structured environment of like PT school to moving to an open environment, but still somewhat structured in private practice and then moving into professional sports and a structure in all its own right is what are the motivating factors? And everyone's going to be a little different. And I think I've always come at it from who am I, who's in front of me and what's their problem versus what's their problem and who's in front of me. And yeah. I, I think I've benefited a lot from the psychological aspect, a lot of the pain science um, early on, I was a little baffled by like how the revelations that people were having in regards to pain science and I'm like, well, I thought this was kind of common knowledge, 
but I was somewhat forgetting that not everyone had the opportunity to go through a psychology education to be able to understand these these abstract concepts so it, it's really cool to see that we are moving in that direction you know we're moving to a more holistic uh individual minded structure than being purely based on some joint dysfunction or some patho uh, inflammatory component to some some injury well, yeah, that's just so critical. And that's one of the things that I love when we talk. And, um, you know, back in the days when you were my CI as well down in Arizona, where, like, you need to look at the whole picture. And that's something that you taught me was just like, for the most part, yes, there's sports injuries. And, and even with that, a big part of it is pain. But like, for the most part, a big part of orthopedics is pain. And pain is in the brain. And the whole entire system is involved in that process. And it's just so important, the things that you said about understanding who a person is before just saying, like, this is why your knee hurts, you know, like, you need to understand what motivates them or like, what, like, I ask all my clients now, I'll be like, what are your hobbies? Like, what's one thing that you're truly excited about? Like, what's, like, you need to find out who that person is and what drives them in order to have any idea of how to best help them. Because the fact of the matter is, it's not always just like the exercise you prescribe that's going to get this person better. It's like pretty much every session is like a counseling session as well, where you're psychologically diving in and helping them like person to person. It's so true. And I like, this is a moment where I want to pay homage to the guys that gave me some really good skills, which Alan Groover and Ben Hagar, uh, great clinicians that, have always wanted to be really good and just have that competitive mentality, but it's, it's, they're the ones that opened my eyes to where, who, who is this person? And also when you take that into like, okay, they have lower back pain, but what's going on with their foot and what's going on with the pelvis and what is their diaphragm doing? And just kind of diving into those pieces. Um, but w without a doubt, like you totally have to appreciate the person in front of you because even if, and this is a, this is something I haven't really had a chance to talk with another like physical therapist about, but like my perspective right now is we are so evidence-based. We are so driven by like, well, what does the evidence say? And I've seen clinicians that don't have a system behind them as flawed as a system can be, or their model of how they view people. Uh, and they will say, well, the evidence for lower back pain is more about the cognitive aspect and the communication and, and being able to get the person to understand that the pain isn't real. Okay, great. But what if this person came back up to you and said, you know what, like hot packs, I feel so good with a hot pack. Like it's the best, like hot pack electrical stim is the best. And some people advocate for like, well, you got to teach them out of that. Like they, they need to know that, that they shouldn't be reliant on this piece of, of material that's going to warm their backs to make them feel better. Do you though? Like it's just a small fraction of what is important to be able to get somebody better. So I always like to look at it. I think I can't remember if we had this conversation. I hope we did when I was a CI, your clinical instructor was um, hedging your bets. You know, it's like playing poker. Like if you want to hedge the statistics of your outcome being successful in your favor. Mm -hmm. So if article, you know, a demonstrated that if you were to do McKinsey type based activities, flexion extension, is going to improve the discomfort or the functionality. They'll say, we'll stick with function and avoid the pain because that gets sticky, but it's going to allow them to move 
with three grades less pain. I guess you can't ignore pain when it comes to lower back. <laughs> but, you know, you're going to be able to function, maybe walk further, climb more steps. Um, and that's 50% improvement. But the mental aspect that you can't really calculate, or maybe we're still trying to understand how to calculate, is another 20%. And then you add in some manual therapy that maybe add 5%. So we're moving somebody from being 60% likelihood of having success to 75, 80, 85, 86.5. Like, that, that, that mentality of let's do all the things that can get this person better is what's ultimately going to help drive this person to, to, to be bought in and to feel like they're a part of the process and not feel like they're just a body on a table just trying to receive treatment. And again, every individual is different. You may have somebody who wants that, but it, it ultimately comes down to who's in front of you and how do you use all the pieces that you've been taught to tie in together to create a good product? Yeah. And that, that's so key. Like the research is amazing and being evidence-based is obviously a great part of our profession, but to your point, like you can't go based on a number on a sheet or this percentage of people got better based on X, Y, Z, because every human being is different and it has to be that holistic approach where you're looking at everything of what can get this person feeling better or functioning better or to the point that they want to, cause maybe their goals are different too. Like, you, you have to take all of it into consideration when looking at a person and you can't just say like this worked in the past or this didn't work in the past. Um, so yeah, I love that point. And so I was, you hear the keys ticking away. That was me typing. Cause I, one of the things that I, so when I did a residency in Arizona through my orthopedic clinical specialty, a specialist uh, certification, one of the, the presentations I had to give at the end of the, of the, at the end of the year was a project that I was most fascinated in it ended up being the thrower's paradox. But without getting too far into that, at this point, the, the thing that stuck out to me the most when I was trying to make sense of information available to me and trying to be good clinically with the person that was in front of me is at the end of the day, evidence-based, the, the definition for that is using the best available evidence with, with your clinical experience to deal with the person that's in front of you. So you really have to take all those three pieces to be able to, to be effective with the evidence and not just be solely driven by it. Yeah, that's, that's crucial. And that kind of leads us to, we haven't really dove into yet. Um, I mean, your professional career, uh, let's just talk about kind of, you know, from graduating PT school, what were kind of your steps that got you to where you're at right now being one of the physical therapists for the Atlanta Braves? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I appreciate the fact that we kind of got to dive in some of the personal stuff because I think that gets interwoven into some of this professional as well. Yeah. And so when I was in PT school, we got to pick our last rotation. We would write a list of top five and the professor would decide, you know, which of the five based on your grades and how your other rotations had gone to allow you to do this three month rotation. And there was a clinic on our list and it's a binder that students either give feedback on or find clinics that we don't have contracts with and establish a contract. And it was a clinic that had been deemed difficult. They required an interview to be able to, to hang out with them and you know, spend your three months there. And they, they were very demanding of what it is. You, know, you, you, you were at that clinic, you, know, you went through that process as well. I could see you smiling. And because, uh, you know, this is, I'm sure bringing back some memories, but I was on, right, right away. I was just 
drawn to this idea like oh this is the hardest place i can be like i want to be there i i don't know what it's going to be like and it's in phoenix great i've been wanting to bounce around and kind of see what the southwest and the rest of texas is like so i had done a couple of rotations in arlington one in el paso i did one in tucson so okay now i want to i want to go to phoenix and there that's again that took me like i want to be the best so if this means being around most difficult clinic then that's where i'm headed and some of it's again good fortune i went out there at first and when i just you know i loved being in that clinic and i hit it off with these two these two clinicians and i was fortunate for them to say hey you know what like we are enjoying what's going on here and enjoying having you around like we you know we'd like for you to come back as a clinician so i graduated in in the december of 2013 and in february you take your boards and all that and february comes along and i'm i'm amped i find out i pass i'm super stoked about it and you know a critical moment in itself you can't just kind of glaze over like that's it's such a big moment it's such yeah. a big moment and then comes the what's next mm -hmm. so i get told okay well, we'll move to phoenix and come work at this clinic but you we don't have space yet you know we we're we have clinicians to the max right now so we want to make you part of the company and then from there when we can transition you in so I moved to Phoenix and the first, I want to say about six months, um, six months, I was not at that clinic. And the first three months of those six months, I was driving Monday, Wednesday, Fridays up to Litchfield Park out in uh, like Northwest Arizona. And then I would drive about 30 or 40 minutes. I was living in Tempe at that time, East to Gold Canyon. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and sometimes I would work Saturday. So my time was completely split. And again, comes to, uh, I, I want to be the best. So if that means me having to do this and having to work the hardest at it, that's fine. Let's do it. So I did that. And I was told, hey, we're starting a residency program here with the company. Is this something you'd be interested in? So again, I'll never win the lottery. That's just something I don't think I'll ever do. And I mean, you got to play to win, right? And I tried a couple of times and just not my luck, my good fortune. But I've had the best fortune when it comes to with timing. And yeah. I think ultimately, I think there's a saying, I think it was inside uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, strength room. And it's like success is when uh, opportunity, gosh, I'm totally going to botch this. It's like when success is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. So it's not that I just, these things fell in my lap. It's just, that it was constant preparing through through so many different ways that I didn't even realize were important, like just being a good person and understanding how to converse and being making it important to be able to to work well with people. And that took me to this situation where they say, well, we're starting a residency. Would you like to be a part of it? I'm like, I, absolutely. I mean, I know I, I know you have to apply to residencies. So I'll, I mean, gosh, I'm I feel really lucky at the fact that I can I can just jump into this and it was not easy, but I went through this one year where I was working about 30, 35 hours in clinic. And then I was also doing a residency at the same time. And it was a little different. Uh, I think most residencies have you work about 20 hours and then you get 15 to 20 and each one's different. Mm -hmm. You get about 15 to 20 hours to work on. You're doing these, these, these monographs is what they're called. And they're essentially like chapters of a textbook and they go over different regions of the body, whether it's cervical, thoracic, lumbar, hip, uh, knee, ankle. And you have to complete all these monographs before the end of the year to then be able to sit for the board exam for the, the, the OCS. 
And it, it was tough. You know, you're trying to work 30 hours, 35 hours and also trying to, to, to take care of business. And again, I, so many times where I was felt I was out of my element. I'm not the best at preparing. I'm the best at planning. This is where I start to learn. Planning is really important. The better I almost see myself as two Nick sometimes. If the Nick of today can plan for the Nick of this coming week, like how is that going to look? Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first it's like, oh, like I don't want to plan, but I sit down, I, I put myself up however it is I need to do, get in the right mindset, write my goals or my, my tasks down. And the Nick of, say this is a Sunday, on Thursday, the Nick of Thursday is so thankful because Nick of Thursday is now focused on the task at hand. And not having to worry about whether I even have the motivation or, or what it is I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. So you can kind of minimize those distractions. Yes. So that was a strategy that I used to be able to get through the residency. And another strategy was a uh, mental mind palace. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Like, no. like Okay. So in Roman times, when people used to give uh, speeches, they they would you know give these long speeches 20 30 minutes maybe even an hour and part of the process was like well how did people remember things back then and you could write it down but a lot of these guys are very proud of their ability to be able to present with no with no paper in front of them Mm -hmm. and what they would do is they would map memories or things they wanted to remember into rooms or buildings they had been in previously and i think it's cicero that was is given credit for the origination of this idea of this mind palace. And the story goes that he either knew or he himself was in this building and he walked out to take a, a message from somebody and the building collapsed. And everyone in the town rushes to the building and trying to save people and kind of know who was in the building. And when he's challenged, this person's challenged to remember who it was, they never sat down to study, okay, John's on the left and Robert's in front of me and Susan's to the right, but they were able to picture it. And then he kind of had this realization, well, I, if I can do that with other pieces of information, then it's easy, so much easier for me to remember it. So what I did when I would study for this, this exam is I would take my house, houses that I had lived in through the lifetime or house like my aunt lived in or my cousins lived in, I would kind of clean out mentally all the furniture and all the things inside, but then I would attach my own meaning to them. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm currently using that right now to study for this EMT exam. And I picture myself walking into my house and there's three arcade games and one of them's Pac-Man, one of them's Defender, and one of them's Dig Dug. So the first chapter of this book, I've taken the 15 concepts and I've like plugged them into each arcade game. So I know that like Miss Pac-Man looks like a bumblebee. So those are going to be the definitions at first. And I know that the Defender game has this Hulk with like his contrasting mask, like this happy, sad mask. And I know those are the physical and personal attributes that you need to be able to be an EMT. And that is drawing based on, on that concept I use for like the residency. That's how I study for these exams. Wow. And, um, Another book, uh, Moonwalking with Einstein, I think by Joshua Four, F-O-E-R, is, again, like it's such a good book because it's the journalist who takes on the idea of of mental championships. He's like, these memory championships. And he's so, so interested. Like, wow, like people can remember like hundreds of digits of pi and remember like all these faces. There's a challenge. There's actually like world championships and 
someone's crowned, you know, the, the, the best memory in the world. And he really wanted to dive into that. In this book, he explains it. And without giving too much away, he starts to interview some of these people who are really good at this process. And he comes across some Europeans who tell him, you have the skill set. Like you as a person have the skill set to be the best. He's like, it's all about strategy and what it is you use to be able to build this, this, uh, this skill. So he's like, there's no way, like, I'm just a journalist. Like there's no way I've never done anything memory related. I'm pretty average. You know, it's just it's like seven plus or minus two is what most people can remember. Mm-hmm. So he takes on the, the idea like, okay, I'm going to commit to this. So these Europeans teach him the strategy to be able to compete at, at memorizing these large, massive amounts of numbers. And the mind palace is one of the things that he talks about. Uh, so again, I keep kind of getting off the, the path of like, where does the profession go? But or me, where, where was I professionally? Um, yeah, but, but that's, that, that's amazing, though. And that's so cool that you use that. And it kind of ties back to what we were saying earlier, too, with that growth mindset of understanding, like for that guy in that story where you're capable of just about anything as long as you, you know, think that you are and you use the right tools and you are passionate and driven about it. Um, and, and I think, too, going back to what you're saying about timing, I think that, that that part is so cool. And you mentioned winning the lottery. And first of all, I just want to say I don't think I don't think winning the lottery would be as gratifying as what we're <laughs> doing right now. Because like, isn't it like 70% of people that actually win the lottery lose their money within two years and are like miserable and like depression rates are super high? I believe because it. Like, I've I'm not familiar with the stats, but I totally believe that. If you don't earn it like if it feels like it was just given to you it's just like I don't know like life is meant to be worked at and anything worthwhile and rewarding takes a long time to achieve and it's so much more gratifying when that's the case um but but to go back to timing so I think it's so interesting how you know you said that you've been blessed with good timing and I I believe that that's probably true I think a big part of it though also is you've taken on the mentality of working hard and like going into situations and giving it your all. So timing just seems to work out in that way. Like you, you were more driven than maybe some of your classmates or, or whatever, where you wanted to take on that challenge of the more difficult one. And you probably, when you were there for that three months, like worked your ass off and really stood out to the point where they wanted to reach out to you about the residency. And like, yeah, timing worked in your favor, but it's probably because you put yourself in that situation. Um, I think sure. it's, and uh, I think I think a part of it is is being comfortable again, having the blank slate mentality, to where I was able to face these challenges and these new things, and not say like, well, do I innately have what it takes to do it? It's more so I kind of remove that from my mind at this point. It's like, okay, cool, that sounds really fun. How how am I going to go about this process? Yeah. Not do I have the skill set? It's like it may take me more time, but how it which which pieces do I need to focus on? And I think that goes back to, again, the, the ultimate war of attrition, meaning like you have to keep wanting it. And I think something that to point out is when you, when you're the most passionate or you're the hardest working or, you know, you really want something. I personally have always pictured someone who's just on a hundred percent all the time. They're just pushing it. They're crushing books. They're, you know, they're reading, they're going for five mile runs, they're like setting PRs and lifting, and they're just crushing life all the time. And it felt so linear, right? There's that, that like, 
that that drawing you know where it's that that typical drawing of like what is people life think is like and what it's really like and when you look at it in that linear sense of like oh everything must progress at 45 degrees to be excellent it, it's such a farce it's it's something I don't know if it's something we've been told or it's something that society likes to grab onto, another way to rationalize yourself. Um, but ultimately, life and progression and success is more like biology. And that's something that I've kind of become more fascinated with now is just the, how do plants grow? Like plants don't just grow every day. Like you don't, you just see a plant and, you know, linearly they're going to be, you can calculate exactly how big they're going to be over time. You can appreciate that. And I'm, I'm talking way out of my element here, but I think I like to appreciate the abstract and that sometimes a plant may not get water. Sometimes a plant gets extra sun. Sometimes a plant grows. Sometimes a plant kind of stays stagnant. Sometimes maybe a leaf is going to die because it doesn't need it anymore. Um, but that's totally what success is going to look like. And I think, again, just it, it, being patient with that idea of um, like maximizing and having the most amount of passion, it, it, it's going to happen a little bit at a time. Yes. That's so, that's something too. I mean, that speaks to me a lot with business where like it's definitely not linear growth and it's definitely something where like you have to put in so much work on the front end and then you, you're not going to get that instant gratification. And that's something where, you know, I don't know if it's it has to do with our culture now or whatever, where people kind of want that, where, you know, I want to be rewarded for what I did immediately so I can like reap the benefits of that. And then I know next time that that was a positive thing. And then that's kind of that feedback loop. Um, but it's totally like, it's not who swims the fastest. It's just who stays afloat the longest. Absolutely. You know? like, and, and that's just so important to understand where, yeah, there's going to be a lot of days, weeks, months, years. I mean, from a business standpoint where things aren't going how you want them to, or monetarily, you're not at a point where you want to be, but as long as you stay afloat and just know that you're not going to give up until you get to your goals, there's no losing. Totally. And that is, again, carried me through. So trying to come back into the, the professional aspect. So after the residency, worked at this clinic, and I got to this point to where, uh, you know, people had moved into different, some of the clinicians that were there had moved to pro sports. And that's something that I never thought I'd find myself in. I never thought I'd find myself in this position. But again, it came back to what it is that I want. I want to be around the best. I want to be with the best. So Again, good fortune brought me the, an opportunity to work with the Atlanta Braves, but that meant I had to move to Florida. And I was in this fork in the road, probably the biggest fork in the road I had faced at that time where I was planning on moving to Tucson to work with some amazing people there and help manage a clinic and, a, and help a company and be able to rock climb as much as I wanted. And I also had this very loose uh, dream where that's when they had announced that rock climbing was going to be in the Olympics. And this was, a gosh, what was this, 2017. So it's about four years, you know, before the Olympics. And I had this loose dream, like, what if I just like totally just made enough money to rock climb full time? And maybe I'm not as good in the U.S., but what if I find a way to become like a Mexican citizen to then try to compete in the Olympics? Very loose dream, right? But I was in this yeah. fork in the road yeah. where it's like follow my passion and get to work with some really cool people or also do something just as cool and move and work in professional sports. And I think that's another, another thing to, to kind of touch on is sometimes it's not about good and bad. And sometimes it's not better or worse. Sometimes it's good and good. And I think that's what makes some really difficult decisions. Like it, you could be good 
and just be a normal physical therapist and work at a clinician as a, at a clinic and be the best there. Or you can also, it can also be good to start a podcast and kind of start some, something that also kind of passion that's rumbling inside you. And, but they're both good. It's not bad, you know, and it's not one's better or worse. It's just, how are you evaluating yourself and what do you want out of this? So I, again, followed the, the more calculated, uh, route, which I, I can be very calculated. And sometimes I, will overanalyze, but you know, again, something I'm mindful of. Uh, so I took the calculator route and progression. I know that people who are really good at what they do are going to be in baseball and it's really tough to get into these situations. So I, there's no way I'm going to pass this up. And I feel honored that I'm even, you know, being asked to want to consider this. So I moved to Florida and get, did a lot of really cool things with some really cool people down there as well uh, at the spring training facility in Orlando. So I showed up in like March of 2017 and worked two seasons at the minor league level and was again, found myself in a situation where I had an opportunity to move up to the big league level. Uh, and again, like, I mean, you kind of see it more from the outside looking in. I just feel very humble and that I, I, I just had good fortune. Uh, but again, that intensity was just, there's more tools now. There are more tools. There's more time there when you're at the minor league level for me in that situation i was working at a facility about 20 to 25 hours a week and i was working from about 7 or 8 a.m to about noon during the regular season and the way minor league baseball works is there is typically one to two physical therapists in the minor leagues in the organization and so if there was anybody in the affiliates, an affiliate is anything from AAA all the way to the Dominican League Baseball Academy, if any player was injured, they would be sent to Orlando. So I got to see this very specialized population with a ton of time available to me and a ton of resources and skills. And now I, I got to try and it was a different playground and a different concept, but that's, it, it was a really good experience in understanding what motivates people that gave me a complete polar opposite understanding and how do people function and why, you know, why do some people get better and others don't? And what, what does it mean for somebody to in a private practice pay to see you and what I call like financial equity. So they're investing in you versus somebody that's forced to see you. So as a team physical therapist, an injured player didn't get to choose me. They were sent to me to be, get better. So how do you build what in that point was sweat equity? How do you get somebody to commit and trust you when they didn't pay or choose to see you? Yeah, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting take on it. What, I mean, to dive deeper in that, what is, stands out the most as far as being different between like, you know, outpatient orthopedics, maybe even for like a hospital system versus at the professional level, you know, like with tools you use or, you know, the holistic approach, diet, nutrition, like exercise, all the things, like what stands out to you the most? I would say the availability of time. That's going to be the biggest thing. Uh, my soapbox for where we are in healthcare is, I mean, we all feel the pressure. So many people in private practice find themselves no longer doing private practice. And I don't know what the stat is at this point. You know, the amount of people who are no longer physical therapists in that setting because the burnout rate's so high, you're seeing, um, I think in our clinic, we were seeing 15 to 20 people in a 10 hour day. Sometimes it could be 
70 to 80 people in a week, maybe more. And ultimately, what you always wish you had more of, especially the people that were really invested, were, was time. You wish you had time to walk that person through this exercise. You wish you had time to give a complete understanding of your approach to their rehab. You wish you had time to reach out to the physicians to make sure that you were on the same page as to what this person can and cannot do. And that was something that you have so much available to you now. And part of it is because you commit yourself. You know, when you're part of an organization, you're committing all your free time to that, you know, to being a part of a medical staff or an organization. And on the minor league, it's, it's a notch up from private practice and commitment. And when you get to the major league, it's to an entirely different level of commitment. Um, I, I like to call when I first get up here, like I like to call a lot of the medical staff and kind of meeting them and how long they've been in baseball. They're silent warriors. You know, these guys just show up every day. They do their jobs, especially athletic trainers. I have gained so much respect and not that I lacked it, but I just didn't appreciate how hard these people work with such little feedback sometimes and such little gratitude to, to be able to do what it is they, they enjoy. And it's because they've learned to appreciate the process, but they'll be the first ones there. They set up the training room, they set up whatever it is is needed for that day. And they'll be the last ones to leave. They'll make sure the players are completely done uh, before they go home. Or, you know, I started to have to appreciate that as well. And um, so, so time is probably the biggest difference when it comes to private practice and being in, in professional organization. Okay. Is there, um, to dive into, you know, diet and nutrition, is it something where like, there's a drastic change as far as how dialed in people are, or um, just to like give a little bit of insight into what it's like in the locker room or just in the organization. I will say if you were to kind of put this on a, like a game show, you know, and like how much like, how likely is it for a professional organization or, or athletes, you know, athletes, professional athletes. And we consider minor league, both uh, minor league and major league. They're both professional baseball players. So, you know, how likely is it that this person is going to follow a strict, stringent diet versus the normal everyday person? And I would say maybe a little more so, but not always, especially the younger kids. You're still dealing with kids that can be really good and very talented who don't have issues nutritionally. Like if there's no blood profile or something to show like, hey, you got to work on this, there may be no incentive. Mm-hmm. And some of them, there are those that are very aware and very mature for, for their age and forward thinking, like, I got to take care of my body now. But there are also guys who just, there's no feedback from the, what they're eating and putting in their body. And sometimes it's hard to make that correlation with, oh, I just crushed an entire, you know, pizza. Like, how is that going to make me feel the next day yeah. or later that day? And it takes time to get to that point, but the availability is there, but it, it's, it takes time for some of these guys to have those realizations. So not, not as much as I think one would think right off the bat with nutrition. What about for you personally being like with the schedule that you have and all that, how do you maintain, I mean, what are some of like your nutritional goals right now? How do you maintain that with your hectic schedule? And like, how does that play out? Uh, chaotically. <laughs> uh, so when I first got here, they always, it's almost like the freshman 15, like when you move to the major league level, just to give you an insight, now the players agreement has given every organization, I believe, has to have either kitchen staff or a chef 
uh, on staff at all times when when players are in house. So food was plentiful. Like there is no longer the barrier of like, can I afford this or do I have the time? Like there is yeah. food everywhere, everywhere, oh, wow. every types of food. You have healthy food. You have you can have any type of protein bar. You can have peanut butter and jelly sandwich if you wanted. You can have dessert. You can have chips. You can have anything you want. So when the barrier is lowered then and the stress is high, you know, you'll find yourself just kind of eating out of boredom or eating out of stress. So that was happening a lot early on. And I think it was January or July, July, where I took a blood test. And I have had historically high cholesterol. It's just something I've dealt with. And I've always said it's genetics, genetics, genetics. It's just something that, you know, I've tried to eat better. And it's just something that's never trended in downward. It's always slowly trending up or just kind of stagnated. So in July, I had this blood test. I was fasting uh, lipid profile. And the doc's like, look, I, you're, you're 31. You, it's time to start thinking about getting on a statin. And... I am just not the type of person that wants to solve things the easy way. So I decided that I wanted to, um, to just give this one more shot. And I heard this diet from Walter Longo. It's called, it's a prolon diet. He talks about the longevity diet and we can add a, a link to this as well. But essentially what you do is it's called fasting mimicking diet. So you eat restricted calories for five days uh, once a month for three months. That was the protocol that they had given. And at this point, I'm like, God, I got to get this together again. Another moment of having some feedback and saying, you either take you know, medicine for the rest of your life, you start taking a statin, or you can give this one last shot. And I didn't really think this was going to work, but I, uh, I committed to it. So I went ahead and went to a, the Prolon website and I purchased these three boxes. Each box has five smaller boxes in them. And it's the food for the day. You get the day one is a thousand calories. And we're talking about like a bar, uh, some bags of tea, like hibiscus tea. You get one like cocoa crisp type snack. And then you get some powdered soups where you just put it on instantized wow. soup. Yeah, you put water, you put the soup and you put it in the micro or you, you set it on simmer on the stove for 15 minutes. and You just kind of let it warm up. Day one's a thousand calories. Day two through five is 800 calories. Man. And it, it's unreal. So I, the, the five days are tough. And I think day three is the most difficult. And they kind of fluctuate. So like day three, you get less calories. Day four, you get more. Day five, you get less um, by a couple hundred. But it, it, you just start to think about food in such a different light. And I you know, we can, we can dive into this as well, but just kind of the way we view food and what's available to us and what we really need is so different. And I think you and I talked about like intermittent fasting and what yeah. is it doing to the body and fasting mimicking is very similar where your body has to decide when you are limited on resources, what are you going to do? Are you going to allow all cells to survive? Or are you going to let the cells that are functioning at 70% like, Hey, it's time to go. Like you've done your job, but we're going to have to make a new version of you. And they kind of start to create more apoptosis in those cells. And you have other cells that you kind of create more resiliency on. And what that did is I shed a lot of body fat. And I'm already, I was probably about 180 at that point. And I would say one of my goals has always been to try to add weight. So the year before I was trying really hard to add a lot of weight. I was taking, I was consuming 
probably north of 200 grams of protein a day. And it was a little ridiculous. And I got to the point to where I was doing this restricted calorie diet and I actually started to feel a lot better. By the end of the three months, uh, I looked, I took another blood profile test and my cholesterol, my triglycerides, LDL, which is the uh, low density uh, lipoproteins all, all went down. And that's the first time that's ever happened. So it, it's tough. You, I think you establish yourself in this new environment. And then from there, you try to handle a lot of the finer details. So diet took me some time, but I think planning, again, it goes back to planning. You got to plan. If you go to a new city, you have to be forward thinking enough to say, okay, well, what's available to me? What can I eat and discipline? How am I going to stay disciplined? And what are some of the alternatives uh, to be able to sustain this, this lifestyle that it is I want to pursue for like better health? Yeah, that's, and that's really powerful too, in that, you know, not being reliant on that statin the rest of your life, like realizing that there's things you can do that are probably even beyond that blood profile, just better for you. I mean, mental health, better relationship with food, better like understanding of autonomy within your life and with your health. And I wish that more people would, um, you know, have access to that or may, hopefully they listen to this and they realize there's changes they can make in their own life where they don't have to be as reliant on medication. And, um, you know, like we've touched on in previous podcasts, sometimes, sometimes you do, sometimes you need it. Like if you're at a certain level or you need it temporarily to get you to where you need to be, but the less reliant you can be on an external factor like that is extremely empowering for you to know, like you have this in your own hands and you can do things that are natural to get you, get those levels down. Yes. And I think what's important to know is something you can, again, kind of cross into multiple aspects of one's life is like universal knowledge. Like the knowledge is out there. It exists already. You don't have to create it. And there is somewhat of amount of effort that you have to give to be able to find it. You actually have to go out and find it, but it's there. All the, all the information you could ever want is at the palm of our hands, whether it's a library or the internet. Um, you know, the, the internet can be tough because there are people who have other motivating factors for creating information versus like just the betterment of somebody's health. There may be personal motivation, either financial or otherwise to try and get you to, to follow their program. Uh, but I think if you do due diligence, due diligence with the information that, that's available, you can find anything you want about any piece of information about any skill that you want to acquire. And again, cooking, making these dietary changes is a skill. And at first it's frustrating. And at first it takes a little extra mental energy and you're going to be tired. It's just like working out for the first time. Like it's going to feel unnatural. It's going to feel uncomfortable, uh, but it's part of the process. So if you can stay focused on trying to find these pieces of information, whether it's the, this, this longevity diet or it's a, ketogenic diet i'm not too familiar with that i know there are people who really enjoy the ketogenic diet um you 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 can it's there available for you you just got to find it and that yeah. that you can kind of see that play out what's that i was just gonna say information is definitely in abundance you can you can get everything that you need and it goes to the players as well sometimes they can get a little bit of confusing feedback from us from a, a nutritionist and say they have a guy or a personal nutritionist or the internet in regards to what it is they're supposed to do as a professional athlete. Like how do I maintain this high level of performance or the sustained level of performance for long periods of time? If I, you know, if I'm eating 
only veggies, you know, where's my protein? Or if I am on a paleo diet, like how is that impacting me? And um, I think it can get a little more difficult for them. But again, I think the availability of information is greater for them. Uh, they have access to us. They have access to uh, nutritionists. They have access to strength coaches, all really good at what they do. And they care a lot. So it's a matter of finding what the individualized response is for you. Like longevity may not work for you or it may not work for another person. It, it all comes down to like, how is your body going to respond the most? Mm -hmm. So from being a, you know, professional sports team, a PT, what are like the biggest positives and biggest negatives? Cause I think that sometimes people will look at it and be like, man, you got it made. Like you got all this stuff. Like it must just be the best job ever. Like, I'm sure there's positives that are obviously make it well worth your time, but with everything you do, there's gotta be negatives too. Like there's gotta be things you're like, ah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, get to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the things that people are enamored with right away is the clientele that we get to work with. And it, it is, they're, they're very good at what they do. They're very talented at what they do. Um, at the end of the day, they're also people though. You know, they have their likes, their wants, their needs, and the things that they have to sacrifice to be able to get to what it is they want. Uh, so it, it is, it's so cool to be able to be around these people who are around a game that's been described to me as a game of failure. Like in this game, somebody who hits three out of seven times is really good. Like yeah. that they're, they're like, you know, they're Hall of Fame worthy if you're north of 300 you know, batting out of a thousand, a thousand would be perfect. Like where, where are we in society or otherwise where we can say, Hey, three out of 10, that's pretty good. You know, like we can't pass right. an exam that way. So being around these people, the, the mentality that they have is definitely kind of gets rubbed off onto you and you want to be able to be just be comfortable with failure and being able to push through. That's a huge plus. I think that's a very big positive. Um, I think, one of the things that it makes it more difficult, one of the negatives perceived is, is commitment. You know, it takes a lot of commitment, a lot of sacrifice. Uh, you have to want to commit it to this lifestyle. It is absolutely a lifestyle. Like even if we're in off season right now, uh, my bosses, the, the head and the assistant athletic trainer, like they're constantly working. They're constantly turning away at things and they've learned to turn that quote unquote negative into something that they, they just, it's a lifestyle. It's what they do. It's something that they're very proud of and it's something that they're good at. So the time commitment, it, it, it very much shows. Cause if you're somebody that is partially committed, it's going to show up. It's going to come out, you know, at the end result, if you're not completely committed, it, it's going to show and you have to be able to decide if this is something you want to do full time for six to seven to eight months or all, all, you know, the entire year, you're going to get phone calls. You have to be able to drop things on a dime. So I could see that being perceived as a negative. Um, the travel can be tough as well. So our organization, we have two physical therapists, two athletic trainers, a massage therapist, and two chiropractors that consult with us, and two strength coaches. And this organization, we're lucky enough to where only one physical therapist will travel. So sometimes the other physical therapist will, will uh, travel, and I'll stay back and rehab with the guys that are injured. And sometimes I'll travel and the people that travel full time, I mean, you're in a different city every three to four days and you'll work, you know, we'll get two to three days off a month. Uh, during spring training, we work six weeks, seven weeks straight, and we maybe get one day off. Um, so you have to be able to have that, that commitment to the, the sacrifice of your weekends and your off time and have really strong relationships with your family, your significant other. 
to be able to get through this grind of a season. Uh, I, I'd say, you know, every sport has its version of it. And I think baseball, because it's such a long season, it's 162 games of normal regular season. I want to say the approximate miles traveled this season for the players and full-time staff that travel all the time was like 32,000 or 34,000 miles. Wow. It's a lot. That is remarkable. Within a span of what? uh, Starting in the very end of March and going to the very end of September. So what is that? Six months? So about there. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that can be a huge drawback. Uh, I think independence in, in choice with how you treat people and meaning like typically in private practice, if you see somebody, you're going to kind of decide, okay, well, they're seeing me for physical therapy rehab. We're going to do, uh, we're going to start them with some type of modality. We're going to do some soft tissue. We're going to do some exercise based and you kind of mix that recipe however you want, but you're ultimately making the decision. You kind of the person that, that decides the, the game plan. And you might bounce ideas off your coworkers and stuff, but it's very linear. Here, you have eight to 12 different people, whether it's uh, athletic trainer, physical therapist, chiropractor, physicians, outside consultants, trying to help make a decision. So there's a lot more patience involved. And I would say the person that wants to be very entrepreneurial and kind of very individualistic, uh, it, it, it takes time to be able to adjust to this setting. And if, you know, it's not for everyone. So if you feel like you want to be more adaptable and kind of go blaze your own trail, you have to do so more on your own because this is the epitome of being on a team. Like you're going to work together. You're going to succeed as a team. You're going to fail as a team. And you have to be able to be considerate of, of others to be able to, to really maximize um, the information and the resources you have available to you. That's cool. And I'm glad you said that because it's, first of all, I love that even the quote unquote negatives, it all depends on what your goals are. You know, I mean, it depends on how passionate you are about it and what you want out of it, because even those can be perceived as positives. And that kind of goes back to what we said earlier about just your mindset going into some of those things too. Um, But yeah, I I think there's a lot of interesting things there. And I think that we're going to have to have you on the podcast again in the near future, because there's just too much content here to put into one episode, you know? Yeah, for sure. I know. I kept trying to like ebb and flow like to depth, but then kind of making sure we kind of stuck to the the main road here. I, I feel like we could make this about a 12 hour long episode, <laughs> but, um, you know, for the listeners, we'll try to keep it short and then we'll yeah. definitely have to have you on again Absolutely. in the future. Yeah, this um, has been fun. I appreciate this. This is the first podcast I've ever been on. So, you know, again, thanks for giving me this opportunity. I love it, man. Let's, we'll finish up with just a couple of questions, kind of tying back into just personal you know, a little bit deeper stuff, just kind of how you view the world. Because like I said, you're just wired different. You're somebody that, um, you know, I really look up to. And I think that the way you view the world is really, um, I don't know, it's really empowering. So um, what is, you know, your concept of being optimized as a human, you know, like what, or like meaning of life or just kind of what, how do you look at the world? Uh, I want to say the most important part is thinking in what's called like an angstrom meaning like 0.1 nanometers meaning being being comfortable thinking a day at a time instead of thinking like pounds or inches so why i say that is there's a lot of frustration that goes on when somebody starts a process whether it's losing weight getting fit uh gaining a skill where there can be a lot of a lot of stress a lot of um you you just 
are very unsatisfied with where you are that first week, that next week. And it's just being comfortable drawing inspiration from, from that. And if things are going to take time. So I always hear optimization to me, optimization used to mean like quick hacks and how do I maximize my sleep, but only get like four hours of sleep. How do I eat while I'm also working? How do I, how do I do a lot of things at once? How do I multitask? And now what optimization means to me is I think there's a book called the power of less. And it really talks about this, which is uh, just doing one thing and putting your full attention at it and giving it as much effort as you can in that moment and moving on to the next thing. And optimization means to me, if I can bring mindfulness and attention and presence to this thing right now, each, each building block, if that receives the same amount of intensity or presence, then together when you kind of take a step back and you're done, will will be lead to a bigger, more successful, more fulfilling end result, more concrete end result than if I'm trying to quick hack everything. If I'm trying to eat and read and listen to a podcast at the same time, like the reality is I'm not that good at it. And I think we as people are not that good at it. So optimization through through more focus, I think is is a big thing. Something that I've learned to to be better at as well. That's that's so cool. That um sparks another thing where you know presence is more rewarding than productivity and that that kind of stems from um that 13 learnings from 13 years of brain pickings that you had sent and yeah again i'll have to remember to put a link of that in the show notes so that people can check that out it's pretty brief and it's just 13 um you know kind of things that if you take them in and really digest them they really impact the way that you look at your situation in the world um but this one was yeah, that presence is more rewarding than productivity. And I think that in our culture, we measure one another or ourselves by efficiency or by earnings or things like that so often, and not by just being present in what you're doing at that time. Um, and I mean, honestly, it's something that I need to work on a lot because day to day, I look at it as, okay, how can I be most productive? How can I get the most stuff done? Every morning, I write a list of things that I have to do that day, you know, check them off. And I think that I mean, it's a positive in a way because you get a lot done. You feel good about yourself in that in that way. Um, but there's a lot to be said about getting better at just being present in the moment. And, you know, like we're, like us talking right now, like just taking this in versus looking at like, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to say? Or where is it going to go from here? Just like understanding this time and this place. And it's just so much more like you're able to be happier if you're able to do that, I think. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and that is again, in itself a process. And that's something where early on growing up, I always wanted to like give information, like just give and give and give and like read and then talk about it and like read and talk about it and just kind of like almost too much. Like I'm just like vomiting all this information, but that's not how conversation works, right? Uh Like most importantly, communication is what am I saying? And if it's even being received in the way that I mean it and more often than not, it, it doesn't happen that way. So let's take like one piece and let's just chew on that a little bit and let's kind of go back and forth and see where we're at and just kind of go from there instead of feeling like we have to give everything all at once. And that was again, one thing that I always wanted to just like, if you and I were meeting around this podcast, like I have to talk about everything all at once because then it's not going to ever be, I have to be expressed and understood. And I need to make sure that people understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. But not really. I mean, because even no matter how much I think I've done a good job of expressing or making sure people understand where I'm coming from, they may not. And that's okay. And maybe I don't feel like I do as good of a job and maybe it comes out better than than what I expected. 
Mm-hmm. So without a doubt, it, it does just just being present and um, responding to that that moment and kind of ebbing and flowing and kind of moving with it than having an expectation of what it's supposed to look like and what your next move is. Yeah. So and, I, and ultimately judging yourself based on if it's yes. like, if you look at this podcast and you're like, Hey, like, I think that I represented myself well in a way that like, I'm proud of, like, who cares? Like, right. you know? And I think ultimately right now I have to say like, this has been fun. You know, this is, this has been a, a new experience for me and I'm enjoying it. And yeah, absolutely. Like the critical eye and the judge in me wants like, well, what is that end result going to look like? And is it going to be up to the standard that I have anticipated it to be? But I'm going to have to remind myself like, hey, like sit down and truly like enjoy it. Don't critique it. Enjoy it yep. and see what it was like. And you know what? There'll be another time and there'll be a next one. And at the end of the day, like I'm not that important. <laughs> so it's it's fine. Like it's it's not as big of a deal. I'm not about to be on, you know, national television or anything like that. But, you know, and also saying that like I'm really excited for for you guys for bold based performance. Um uh, to continue to grow and like progress. And I'd love to see where this is going to be, you know, three, five years from now. And just yeah. all the experiences and lessons you guys are taking away from this. Like I am absolutely one of those people that's like on the periphery, like watching and enjoying. And um, also like learning, I'm learning from you guys. I'm, I'm really, I'm really taking away a lot from like you guys being willing to, to put yourselves, you know, out there like this. It's very uh, admirable. I, I appreciate that, man. Cause I, I've learned an incredible amount from you and um, yeah, I won't, I won't spend any more time piping you up, but, but it, <laughs> it's, it really is, um, you know, life changing is not an overstatement. So um, I really appreciate your time with that. One last thing that I would just love to get your take on. Um, so Steve Jobs said that one of the most motivating things for him was to every morning look in the mirror and say, you're going to die. And if you die tomorrow, would you be satisfied with today? So with that concept in mind, you know, what do you want to leave as your legacy or be able to look back on in 50 years and feel fulfilled? I think if I had to sum it up in one sentence, it'd be leave the biggest ripple possible and i think that's accomplished on a daily basis by being a good human being be considerate to others like even if it's something as simple as like picking up after yourself you know like if you're at the whole foods and you're eating or you're at a restaurant like and people other like the common culture is to leave your your trash behind like just pick it up if you're out hiking and you see a piece of trash like just take it with you um i think it's it's good to pay it forward in that sense and just take what's been given to you and, and view it in a positive light uh, on the grand scale. Again, that's just like leave a, a ripple and that means paying it forward. Don't, it's not an eye for an eye. And if, if I do you a favor, it doesn't mean that then you owe me a favor. It should just be about continuously pushing and progressing, you know, yourself and everyone around you forward. So that's, that's a big thing for me. I would say that's kind of, again, that, that well, that's my why as to why, I'm so motivated and every day just want to try and be a better person. Well, I, I can personally say that you've left a ripple in my life. So I, I yeah, genuinely excellent. appreciate it. I appreciate that. Um, where can people find out more about you? That's a really good question. Uh, let's go for, I think my Twitter is Nick V underscore PT. Okay. And if for other, any other reason, like feel, have them feel free to reach out to you and you know, I'm always happy to connect something, uh, 
I think is also important. I had a lot of mentors in my life. I want to be a good mentor and again, just pay it forward, uh, help everyone kind of achieve what it is they want. There's no better feeling than seeing somebody succeed um, as they kind of grow through a process. Definitely. And I'll, I'll have that in the show notes for the Please. listeners as well. My door's open. My door's open. You know, if there's anything, any questions I can help answer, whether it's PT related or otherwise, like I'm, I'm always happy and look forward to hearing from people. All right, man. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show. As I've said before, you're an inspiration for your hard work, your self-awareness, your passion, and just kind of the way that you view the world is, is very insightful. Um, you know, I always get energy from you and I'm sure that everyone that has been around you feels the same way. Um, so we'll have to have you again on the, on the show soon. Uh, you know, thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Uh, I'm confident that you were able to take a lot from Nick in this episode. Um, please share this episode with one friend who you think would benefit from hearing this and it would enhance their day. So let's continue to grow together and change the system. Really appreciate it, Nick. And pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.